Welcome to season two of My Ministry Breakthrough, brought to you by Oxano. I'm your host, Brian Rose. This podcast is all about church leaders telling unfiltered stories of impact in the local church. We're here to celebrate and share those life-changing moments when the fog of ministry chaos clears and breakthrough clarity happens. When you come into a space and work in a space, any company yeah. that's doing something redemptive, doing something that makes has an impact on people, something that you give, yeah. um, I think it feeds into even non-believers the idea that we were made in God's image. And his image is to rescue and redeem and restore and repair and rebuild. Second Corinthians 5 says that we've been made ambassadors. Now, visioneers recognize that, and, yeah. and we get to use our work. That's what we do every day, drawing buildings, you know, the craft of architecture and construction, to be able to put to form uh, a vision of a, a group of people in every, all these different areas. Um, in order to uh, redeem a lost generation. So we get to become ambassadors now. One critical element of ministry that every church shares, regardless of their size, their tribe, or their location, is the built environment. No matter where your church meets, it still meets somewhere. From homes to schools or theaters to repurposed retail boxes or stained glass cathedrals, there is a building. And your building can testify to the nature of God, can glorify Him, it can proclaim Him to a lost community, or it can at best leave people uninspired, wondering if God is so good, why are His buildings so bad, or dirty, or old, or hidden? And we all get this. We wouldn't argue that how we keep our own homes, our own yards, our own property could be seen as a reflection of our character and work as a bridge or witness to our neighbors. Yet in the name of stewardship, which may actually be more financial idolatry than biblical management of God's resources, we sacrifice the beauty and sacred nature of the spaces where we celebrate and grow in Christ. My guest in this episode of My Ministry Breakthrough is Bob Bergman, the creative principal of Visioneering Studios, a coast-to-coast architecture and construction firm that is committed to launching vision into built reality. Bob's passion and life calling is to display that every building can do more, know that it must do more than just keep out the elements. Bob's personal spiritual journey reminds us why and how the built environment can reflect the very nature of God. So lean in and listen up to My Ministry Breakthrough with Bob Bergman from Visioneering Studios in Santa Ana, California. We're sitting here, Visioneering Studios, Santa Ana, California. It was great to be uh, down here before with John Parker on an earlier podcast, and he told us a little bit of the history of the of the building here. What do you like best about being in this space? What do you like best about being on the sixth floor of this old bank building? Well, for many years, we've been wanting to do what a lot of churches want to do and move into where all the people are. Okay. You know, it seems like it's— uh, So you guys were in an office park. Yeah, John told a part of that story. Yeah. You guys were in a very carefully designed, carefully crafted, yes. and very generic office park, right? Yes, but class A, hedge fund managers, right, right. bankers, stockbrokers. So even our clients coming to hire us, it was a bit of a liability. They're like looking around at you know, the, these people's cars and shoes and suits— and said, how much do these guys cost? But yeah. 
you know, you probably heard in the previous broadcast, our podcast, that um, we got a good rent on that. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It was going way up. And even still there, um, like many churches, they can't afford to move into the city. Um, the regulations are high, rents are high, and the income's low. Because yeah. people in the city are generally a lot more poor. Land is cheaper farther out. It's there's a lot cheaper, of challenges with build, that. But. but man, I mean, ask Keller. Um, that's where the Tim church— Tim Keller in New York. Yeah. So, yeah, you yeah. Need to, the, you, the church needs to go where all the people are going. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we're, we're going to be at the end of the century. 80% of all the world's going to live in the city. Wow. And now we're in the heart of the heart of Southern California— in a building that was the only high-rise building in the 20s. You know, yeah. I think you probably know it's an Italian Renaissance revival style done by the same architect that did the... Yeah. Uh, yeah. John told us it was the yeah. same architect that did the L.A. Coliseum yeah. and, and those kind of things. Grand Central Station. Yeah. So we're in this cool old building that was uh, where all the farmers and, and uh, ranchers in this coastal plain would come and do commerce. Okay. Uh, so they would all come in from the... From the coast, from the farms yeah. inland a little and bit. from the foothills. And from the foothills. And this was where the commerce happened. Yeah. And it's a bank building, you know. Yeah. Uh, so we're in a cool building with story and history. And uh, I th- think that leads into a lot of your questions, you know, about yeah. how uh, even the one that I surrendered my life to when I was 24 years old, Jesus Christ, he began every one of his public addresses with the story about the kingdom of God. Yeah, you know, he was and started most of his sermons with the kingdom of God, and and we've learned years ago that visionarian is called to help the church put to form these stories about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. You know how to bring those stories about the kingdom. Unpack of God. that a bit. What do you what do you mean by that? Well, it sounds like a good concept, and I think at the top of my mind I get that, but I don't want to move on. I mean, take yeah. that a layer deeper. What do you? What do you guys mean that you, you know, I know, I get Jesus started with the, the story of the kingdom of God. What does architecture have to play in that? Why did, what does that matter? Yeah, we know every building tells a story. Right. And sometimes it tells a story of we're just cheap and stupid. <laughs> you know, we're, we're putting something together. We copied something else that looks successful yeah. somewhere yeah. else. But if you forget about your style and start with story, and say, what's the prophetic story that God wants to tell through your community? You're just walking around as a bunch of people saying, I'm coming into a surf community. Right. Um, and these people are, they're not even like me, you know? Yeah. They don't even like me, right. but they're made in God's image. And I love them. God mm-hmm. loved them. And he died for them. And they don't know who he is. They love his work, but they don't know who made it. Um, I think that the first thing visionary needs to do is understand that, and we do understand that the church is God's best tool for redeeming this lost yeah. city, you know, this lost civilization. What was the church? Now listen, I, inside baseball here, you and I have worked together for years yes. as partners when I come and help sort of mine the identity part, the, the DNA yeah. out of that story that you're eventually kind of translating into three dimensions in the built right. environment. There was a church we were, I think it was down between. So it was is maybe around down by Dana Point as you're close to get down before yeah, you get to the right. to the yes. the marine installation there between LA. It was and on San a coastal Francisco. bluff over. It was literally the on a Ocean. boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and like they had they had balconies oh, 
that overlook the Pacific. Like you could yes. see across. The best views were from the garage and That's from right. the storage rooms. They That's didn't right. seem to know they were looking at the largest ocean in the world. Now, Where the sun sets from now, here right over the it. Jolly like, Rancher restaurant that sells cheap seafood and beer. They knew where they were. They, they, their whole front was all glass. Yeah. You know, there and here, here's the church not understanding the marvels and the majesty of God's work. Because they went for solutions that got the easiest access to yeah. parking that yes. made the most sense and was least expensive versus thinking about we we have the creator, you know, yeah. that's that's yeah. there's I mean, people pay to live out here for a reason <laughs> yeah, exactly. because this creation is on display. Yes. Now, not that Middle Tennessee, where I live, isn't beautiful, but there is something about sitting on the bluffs. Um, my wife and I and some good friends were out here last year and sat on the bluffs at La Jolla and just watched that sun go down. And it's like, and so and so. sometimes we miss it, right? Sometimes yeah. we design for other things and miss what the greatest designer has done. Well, yeah, and I think we have to constantly um, step back. And I'm so appreciative of people like you to help us step back and and look at where we're going. Some sometimes it's it's not like they meant to do that. They <laughs> they started from property line in. Yeah, they got some engineered survey and they said this is our boundaries and we have some restrictions and we have to we can't build too close to this line and and they start working in and then they say oh ran out of room so they put in another room. Add on before long, it's like a maze. Yeah. And it doesn't look at all like the God we're speaking about. I've got a beauty, order, design. Um, we talk about architecture that connects with context, you know, but it should an organization connect with context, you know? Yeah. Understand its customer base. The richest man in the world uh, knew that people are consumers, trained consumers, even in developing nations. We've learned how to be good consumers. It's like telling a three year old to say, I want. Yeah. You know, they, they'll tell you. They already know. They just know. So Jeff Bezos said, I'll make it easier to be a consumer, right? The church, I think, is lagging sometimes because we don't understand there's people dying of thirst, spiritual thirst. Um, tonight, our church is doing what we do on Monday nights, and we're, we do a little outdoor church for some homeless people. About 150 homeless people show up, um, and then we— give them a good meal from the Bible, and then we give them real warm, good, warm, home-cooked meals. And we have worship music playing the whole time. So my wife's doing that. She does that Monday nights. I go out and join her sometimes, and I do a little message every once in a while. But we speak their language in their space, in their place, um, and explain to them that this is legitimately church for you, right? Yeah. It doesn't look like a lot of the buildings we design. It's a park pavilion. <laughs> And the city says, yeah, that's all right. If the neighbors don't complain, you can use it. And uh, that's the whole idea is, is saying, you know, here, listen to them. Love them like God does. And in everywhere we go, like you said, you, you, we have these churches that don't know. They're on a bluff overlooking the ocean. It appears they don't know. Um, we also are doing ones up in the forest and the tree lines that have views over three or four um, cinder cones, you know, uh, Alpine mountains. It's beautiful. We've worked on the the front range. You and I have yeah. seen these that have two or three of the 14,000 footers that are within their view. And the building's the last thing we think about. We're like, we're like, where are we? Yeah. So we're now, we move into these cultures where we know people love the work of God. Mm -hmm. They don't love the God of the work. 
Maybe they don't know him. Oh, wait. We know that people love the work of God. Right. Say that second part they again. They just don't know the God of that work. Wow. You know? Yeah. They love the creation. They don't know the creator. They don't love the creator. So I think you can use design. I know you can use design to bridge that gap. You know, to say uh, sometimes in some contexts, uh, let's say on the U.S. pin map of churches where there's not a lot of pins, yeah, you'll find that um, that churchy-looking church building. If you know what I mean, well, you're yeah, yeah, you. I know what you. You mean. have a degree yeah. in architecture, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> a lot of the yeah. church stuff were pagan buildings that were stolen. They were hijacked by the early Roman church who were under heavy persecution, and the church grew under persecution and public admiration of their resilience and their belief in an afterlife and a single God. So they ended up taking these old bank buildings and, and growing into those out of homes and stuff. Yeah. Taking up taking up public buildings. So the church started looking like the cultural buildings. And eventually steeples started showing up, which weren't in any of the designs that God had presented in Exodus. You know, but <laughs> the tabernacle didn't have a big steeple on the front. It didn't have of it. any steeples, no campaniles, nothing like that. No, no minarets. <laughs> what about for a big sure. porta cachet so that people could, <laughs> yeah, could get off the camel un, you know, under the under the yeah. cover and not get wet going to uh, Hebrew school? Well, I know you can you can edit this whole conversation. But, no, we're not editing. But, I don't I don't believe but, in editing. Uh, here's a ramble. Um, visionary sneaks in to every one of our design approaches. And I'm talking about we're re-looking at uh, making a significant impact on South Boston right now yeah. through the Meeting House. We're working with uh, other local architects in Boston, and it's we're, it's over 22 million square feet of mixed-use retail yeah. and housing and um, food and beverage. But we've been asked to put what I believe into this new community that has every part of the body except for the heart. We're doing the heart. Mm. And it's what what we call the church, but there is called the meeting house. This is what I'm talking about. We're going into a city where this whole culture, they're called Southies. They don't have a place. You know, there's mm -hmm. different parts of Boston, uh, kind of a early seat of U.S. American history, you know, but the Southies don't have a place to call their own. So we're picking up on the ancient Southie flair um, and the celebrations that they participate in. And we're creating this meeting house that, that is suspended over a little small pond with seven bridges that connect to it, to a gathering space. And every year they gather, uh, they they uh, celebrate Evacuation Day. And this is where Washington created a whole bunch of fake cannons out of burnt logs and stuff and chased the uh, British Army out of the bay. Yeah, this was going to be their final. They're going to tear down Boston and and continue to destroy the the new freedom and. And uh, General Washington took the hill, uh, which is a short, it's a five-minute walk down to our site. And we want our site to be the place where they come and have that celebration every day um, and create these really great outdoor public spaces where the street sweeper and the stockbroker come together. And it all happens to be focused on the meeting house. Mm. It's used five days a week or seven days a week, but it's also a house of worship on Sunday. Where... In, in, in kind of following this train of thought and even coming back around to, to where where did our church buildings go off track? When did we kind of lose the the reflection of our creator God? And I, you don't have to pinpoint the year, but just conceptually. Well, I can see some trending. So yeah. 
So the um, the church wasn't ever the kind of buildings that we imagine today anyway. It was the... Temple uh, courts in the homes, right? I mean, that it, was the first century. It was the people, you know. Yeah. We have these treasures and earthen vessels, right? So yeah. these buildings, even the tabernacle symbolized uh, a, temperate, a temporal building. Yeah. Um, but it did represent three realms. And this is what we're doing in Boston. And this is what we do with the country church we work on. We always try to find in the site context or in the community context, three realms. We always try to create a front porch, a type of space Mm -hmm. where anyone in the community can come. But when you're in that space, you know something life-changing happens, you know? So in the temple court, in the in the tabernacle in Exodus, it describes this court of the Gentiles, this outer court, that in the very center of it, I mean dead center on an X, is where a sacrifice is made. So this is serious business, but anyone's invited. Everyone's invited. It's a community space. Uh, the modern churches we work on right now, they might have a cafe open all, all year long. That serves that court. It might be an indoor and outdoor spaces in any climate. You know, we're working one in uh, southern Alabama that they just uh, we call it LA LA yeah it's a different LA than we're in right now it's we call a different it LA. where I'm from we call it LA lower Alabama but yeah it's really good stuff good crawfish yeah. um, lots of uh, seafood a lot of people yeah. partying yeah uh, but we're working with the church there saying well we're gonna give create another party spot for this part of the you know eastern shore and and this these porches just need to keep you out of the rain, direct sun, have maybe some big fans moving. And, yeah. and people live like that there. So that's going to be a church. Now, will it look like a church? That's a hard question to answer. Back to your question. Yeah. Because um, a fourth grade class would draw maybe an A-frame and try to figure out if the steeple goes in the middle on the side of the back, you know, the country church. Yeah. But those churches, those buildings were actually patterned after public buildings, like I said. Um, what we're more interested in, and that's all style, you know, yeah. it comes way after story and space. Yeah. But uh, the second realm of every project we work on is the holy place. Now, yeah. that's the church that we recognize today. So you might have met someone in the courtyard. Maybe they even were able to see your service. We have some coastal churches here in Southern California where you can sit outside and look through the windows, including Saddleback. And yeah. You can see yeah. the the service, it's got speakers and and you're outside. It's Southern California, great climate, uh, but you're not in that, you know, you're not in the same room. You don't yeah. feel you have to make the same commitment. You a little can, bit of a barrier you there. You can leave earlier a, if yeah. you want to. You're not disrupting the service. But You the, can vape. But you can I'm vape. Just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> not me, thank you. But uh, <laughs> you might meet someone there in that outer court and say, they might say, hey, you want to sit with me? in that next realm, right? They make that next step. And, yeah. and you've come a few times and you feel comfortable as you're in the church building. It's still a space though. In fact, you know, the old terms, chancel, narthex, and nave, yeah. you know this from yeah. an architecture yeah. standpoint. Nave has this root word, navel, you know, and it's like, a, it's like being inside of a ship, right? You're all in this vessel together on this journey. It could reflect all the way back to Genesis 6 or 8, the flood account where they're all living in that one ship. And when judgment came down, they were lifted up. You know, um, again, they didn't paddle. They didn't have any motors. They just stayed in. Like John 15 says, abide in me. Yeah. And you'll bear much fruit. So, so they were in together. But the third realm, thanks to Jesus, 
uh, 2,000 years ago plus, um, we have access to the mercy seat, to the Bema mm-hmm. seat. And every one project we work on has that space too. And this what do you is mean? where. What does that look like? It looks like um, the place where the word is delivered, right? Where the worship is is led out. It's the place where people, um, where God meets them, you know, where he comes to where they are. He makes that great descent so that they can make the ascent. And John 17 says, my goal is that they be one with Mm -hmm. you, Father. The way I'm with you, I want them to be one with me so they'll be one with you. This is where oneness can happen. And it's, um, that's the place where uh, it's almost to us when we design these spaces like a spiritual mosh pit, you know? <laughs> it's really that place where um, where now you're, you're I've all, seen one of those at camp, by the way. <laughs> well, it happens at camps. Yeah. I was, uh, I've been in junior high and high school ministry for 25 years, just volunteering. Yeah, yeah. So you can't fire me. But the, <laughs> um, I remember one uh, winter camp. It was frozen mud. It was a Southern California mountain. It's like, this isn't going to be so fun for the kids. And um, Saturday, during a five-hour free time, God turned on the snow machine. I mean, it snowed heavy. Yeah. Um, sledding, snowball fights, you know, all camp, you know, wars. Yeah. And they had so much fun. They were exhausted. They were connected. They were uh, kids who thought camp was stupid, first-timers, urban kids from L.A. They got dragged up there or tricked or... Um, told they get free meals, camp meals. <laughs> they didn't know. There'd be uh, girls there. Let's just there's be There's going to be girls yeah. there, yeah. They showed up Saturday night, physically exhausted and spiritually away, uh, uh, ready to hear mm-hmm. from God. And something new happened. The band was good. Everyone was like connecting. Everyone was standing. And they stopped all the music, turned all the lights on like Walmart almost, you know, just yeah. fully lit up and said, I'm not going to dim the lights and play mood music. If you've heard from God and you know you're not doing it on your own, you're not making it on your own, and that's everyone who hasn't heard from God, um, I'm going to ask you to come up up front here and pray with me to receive everlasting life and forgiveness. You know, for you to come up and just confess, I've been your enemy and I want to be your friend. I want to receive that offer of new life. And it looked like the move, the room moved towards the front. It just all shifted. Yeah. In the many cases when you do this kind of call, the amount of space that's filled in the front, that's how much space was left in the back of the room. Right. And that was no tricky music. All the lights are on, mm. eyes wide open. Mm. He said, keep your eyes open. Um, this is the time to get real. So I live for those moments. And I like to like put walls and ceilings and roofs and put a form around those moments. I want to know those prophetic stories of how certain groups in different parts of this country, and you asked earlier, um, every year I'm in some other country, at least one other country, because this isn't confined to the coastal, you know, continental United States. This message belongs in the far reaches of the Philippines and in Saigon. I call it Saigon. (laughs) Oh, gee, man. Um, it belongs in parts of China that we, we're not allowed to tell you where we are right now. Yeah. Um, we, I, I was detained in, uh, in India a couple of years ago in the summer, a year and a half ago. Um, I heard word that my mother in Tulsa, Oklahoma, was not going to make it. 
and I had to go 15 time zones to get there to see her for her last six hours, alone with her for her last breath and her last hour. But I'm, I'm detained because one of our team members leaked out that we're kind of some kind of a ministry. And I was in Southern India and we were de- detained in Mumbai. Um, we took down our website and everything just before they were able to look up and, and uh, they let us go. But we were detained while our international flight was boarding. And uh, I still want Visionary to run to those places where we're not allowed to bring, bring this message. How do you guys? How do you guys do that? I mean, what does that look like? I get, you know, and, and John, you know, a few episodes ago, uh, unpacked kind of the 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 story part and, and telling the story through the space and how we work with contractors and and you know and, and do those things and kind of bring this great idea to completion. We know that's his heart, you know, not just the idea but the completion. What does this look like when you guys take it overseas? I mean, you're not just going over there and. Yeah. You know, standing around with your roll of drawings and a hard hat on, are you? Well, one of your one of your seed questions was yeah. um, asking a little bit about my own personal yeah, history. I was, yeah, yeah. Um, I was a late 50s model, you know, born in Kansas, Kansas City, Kansas, you know, heartland. And not knowing when I was 11, I'd reached the Pacific Ocean. So I went from waves of grain to salty Pacific waves, you know and lived within 20 minutes of the coast. And then I moved on to the peninsula and onto the island. So I was like, you know, a few blocks from the ocean or a block from the ocean. Yeah. And I found that um, uh, growing up in a chaotic home with an alcoholic father, drug-addicted mom and brothers and my sister, um, I became a hyper-perfectionist, just as wrong, I suppose, but it had better benefits. Yeah. Um, I didn't age as fast as <laughs> people liked you a little bit more. People liked me more. I, I gave at a lot more than first, you asked right? for yeah. at work. Yeah, that's true. It's my own personal relationships. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, where are you? I'm at work still. Yeah, yeah. But I started to work um, for, I went to work for this place. I, I used to teach sailing and some of the other sailing instructors said, Hey, I got a job at an architecture firm. I only ever wanted to be an architect. I mean, yeah. probably pre Legos. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I ended up, Working Some of us there. went ahead and got a degree. <laughs> yes. And then did something else anyway. So, I mean. Yeah, yeah you're still architecting though, right? Uh, the essential of what a, well, here, to this point, you know, yeah. I, I, I started thinking now on, on the edge of 60, I'm almost 60. Yeah. Um, I started thinking, I, maybe I'm in this because I want to bring order to disorder. Huh. You know, maybe um, I grew up in such chaos and I experienced such abuse, really physical verbal, emotional, violent abuse, saw so many terrible things that I want to be part of a redemption plan, mm-hmm. right? And then I, you know, 24, I surrendered my life to Christ, um, working in this architecture firm for, you know, a total of 20 years, traveling all around the world, um, finding I could redeem a community by building a new village. You know, I designed several villages. I've designed um, buildings and all the different construction types all around the world. Uh, usually working through a local architect because you yeah, can't license yeah. internationally. So we do the master design, right, mm-hmm. and the master plan. And eventually, you know, with computers, we can deliver a pretty tight schematic package. So there's yeah. not a lot of erosion in the design, and we deliver this. But it was story-driven. Even before I met you, Brian, you know, <laughs> it was story-driven, trying to find out what's life in Malaysia. You yeah. Know? yeah. I, I did work on the master plan that later became the— tallest buildings in the world for a couple of years, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, yeah. heart, heart of Malaysia. 
And uh, it was kind of a heady thing because uh, we beat out several international firms in this design competition. And we were like a rising star, not too well-known, more boutique. So that was good. But by the time I was 24, I started wanting to be a pastor yeah, and a missionary. And I never got those callings. You know, I never received those opportunities. And um, God allowed me to go into the jungles of southern uh, Nepal, a Hindu kingdom, back in 2000, uh, summer of 2000, and just do a scouting trip. How do we build a church in a Hindu kingdom? And um, that's when I started saying, man, okay, is there a job like this? Now, interestingly, I didn't know it would be 2002, November, that Visioneering Studios was formed. I was yeah. the alpha employee. You know, yeah, yeah. First hire. So the company doubled immediately when I, <laughs> when I signed up. When on. you said yes. But I left the world's largest architecture engineering firm in the world, which offered all kinds of opportunities to work yeah. with Disney and Universal, Warner Brothers, hotels. We had um, 87,500 employees. It's down to 87,000 now. And um, <laughs> I had a lot of, you know, better pay, a lot of pay. I remember vividly, um, this is kind of a defining moment, um, the day I was handing them my resignation. And through my wife's wisdom, it was boiled down from a 25-page dissertation and lots of gushing and thank yous to uh, a paragraph saying, I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm following a calling. I'm I'm receiving a higher calling. Wow. So before I got my pay cut uh, and joined Visionary Studios, I like a lot of pastors might recognize. Yeah, yeah. I um, I was handing in my resignation, and I was at the same time receiving the highest pay raise of my career. Never, it never hit the bank. Yeah, I was given a two weeks notice, and I gave another week just to finish up some jobs for Warner Brothers in Madrid. Yeah. But um, I never looked back. Yeah, you know, I was. They 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 say they still have a seat for me there. That's sixteen years ago. Um, but I don't want that. I, it was fun, Brian. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. but. Uh, whether we're rescuing girls in the Philippines from the sex industry to some little church, and I'll never be able to measure how much love they poured out into the community through their space. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm never looking back. Never yeah. looking back. This is, um, I, I get to work uh, two years running with a place called the Best Workplace in Orange County. Uh, it's an employee-voted um, certificate out of 25,000 companies. And we're like in the top 28 uh, companies. There. Does that mean y'all are number 27? Because <laughs> top 28 is kind of specific there, Bob. Well, we're, yeah, somewhere, <laughs> yeah, maybe we're 27. I don't know. That, top 28 what, means that's, you're number 27. <laughs> that's just, yeah, but, but out of... 25. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, yeah, well, it's huge. Uh, maybe 2,500 companies yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. are part of this. Um, it, it reminds me that when you come into a space and work in a space, any company yeah. that's doing something redemptive, doing something that makes a, has an impact on people, something that you give, yeah. um, I think it feeds into even non believers the idea that we were made in God's image. And his image is to rescue and redeem and restore and repair and rebuild. Second Corinthians 5 says that we've been made ambassadors. Now, visioneers recognize that. And, yeah. and we get to use our work. That's what we do every day, drawing buildings, you know, the craft of architecture and construction, to be able to put to form 
uh, a vision of a, a group of people in every, all these different areas um, in order to uh, redeem a lost generation. So we get to become ambassadors now. If you could, if you could take that idea and that heartbeat of what you guys do here uh, on the sixth floor in this kind of downtown, you know, reclaimed bank Ur- building, urban grid, urban yeah. grid uh, very much a grid, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and speak from here to the heart of pastors that are all, and in everybody, you know, we come to those periods, I think every five to 15 years where we've got to build, we've got to expand, we've got to renovate, we've got to do something. And you could, and you could kind of whisper in a pastor's ear, you know, hey, here, remember this. Yeah. You know, what would you say? Well, I feel like Jesus has given us the words, the questions. When he walks into a new town, a new circumstance, he tends to look at his his own that he had been training, right? Right. The pack of 12. And says, um, he asks these two questions. Who do you say that I am? Who do they say that I am? And I think those questions seed a direction for how do they approach this community that they're coming into. And I feel like we could ask those questions. Pastors could ask those questions in their communities, in their context, saying, who do they say that we are? You know, isn't this kind of all yeah. the stuff you flesh out? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then also Never say, in that lens, but forever I'm going to use that, buddy. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm stealing that. No, uh, yeah. I mean, if a church— Well, I stole it from Jesus, <laughs> yeah. so it's all well, right. Well, I— and I think, royalty free, and, and we can go back. And, and Solomon reminds us, there's nothing new under the sun. Right? That's true. Um, I, I love that concept that if that we might encourage pastors and leaders to first say, "Who do you?" You know, echo the words of Jesus. Who do you say that I am? So, who does yeah. as pastor? Who do you say Jesus is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Church, who do you say Jesus? What is your unique calling? Yeah. This great permission, whether the great commission, this this kind of concentration of where you are and the people God has given you and and, and the physical location yeah. and also this deep passion. Who do you say that I am? And then turn outward. That's what I'm saying. And go, okay, who do they say that I am? Yeah. And you know what that does? And our solution for— uh, It shakes up everything. It shakes up everything, what, but our is solution— Is your building in the way now? Yeah. Are your traditions in the way? Are some of the requirements you put on people— Look at my little church. I'm with Calvary Chapel. It's like not non-denominational, but it says denominational. Little church. You said my little church, Calvary uh, Chapel. They're Are they're we? like billions of little churches, okay, right? Okay. Yeah. They, yeah. They'll, they'll put three in a community. Say, buddy, there might be two in each city yeah, or yeah, something crazy. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Al's warehouse. You know. Yeah, Al's garage. Yeah. Um, or they can be three thousand seats. But yeah. that that movement, which is really a denominational non-denomination. Yeah. Yeah. They. Um, just the one I'm in is an old Ganal lumber building. It's a one-acre building, you know, 43,000 square foot of building, and it's church in the box. It looks like Ganal lumber still. They don't spend a lot of money on buildings. but I'm Even on the, though you're there? I'm they, on the board there, yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, one, one Monday night, I have a board meeting tonight, by the way. Prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Uh, that's true. To quote, but but to I did, I did at least ask way. the question. Yeah, yeah. When you drive in, I didn't know our poll could hold that many no signs. <laughs> you know, what you can't do yeah, and yeah. ordinances and yeah, all this stuff. Because yeah. we're near a, an upward sports facility and we're in a lower industrial park. So people like practice driver training there and there's other people overflow park in there for the sports venue. Yeah, yeah. And we have so many snows and ordinances. And I just go, can we just like lower the 
welcome Matt to the lost community or at least figure out one you big know. yes to lead with it, or yes you know what yeah. I'm saying we like if we have to have the, legally have to have all that's the your nodes. front door yeah. it's like yeah. here's all the rules like yeah. oh man we may as well put plastic on the on the cushions you know on all the <laughs> seats and just like mom no drinks here no like, little yeah, children yeah. like oh man and here Jesus is probably dealing with the same thing his own disciples are saying keep them away and all this stuff he goes no let the children come to me yeah the kingdom of god is for such as these and the church could learn from that but we can lead as architects and planners and um, builders by saying what if you look at some we can look at all your pros and cons of your facility. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can take a view as a community does because we come in fresh. So do you. We come into a new community. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're meeting with some folks you know, here in Southern California, and you're going to do a full assessment, like a first-time guest experience. Yeah. Right? And you're going to go, well, you say these things, but I didn't know how to get in. Yeah. You know, it wasn't as welcoming. Where's the portal? You know, we learned this in architecture school, processionals and portals and stuff to get a business to thrive. Well, how how do you get into the church? Yeah. You know, how do you become a member? But those things cost money, Bob, and that's not good stewardship. (laughs) We've got to be stewards, Bob. It costs money to think about portals and things. How much more does it cost not to, you know, make it easier for people to get in? You know, how much more does it cost? And by the way, you're going to spend the same amount of money doing something that looks more like the architect than the, the design that's needed. And or the great architect. By the way, you know, I, I, I'm a juror at uh, an architectural school, right, a, and a university. Oh, my gosh. They take people out of the architecture. Hey, Wait, let's just, this let's time, just, we have to explain. Okay, so in architecture school, every, side note, architecture school, you, you do projects, and you don't just kind of finish a project and turn it in. You finish a project and you put it on a wall. Yes, you do. And then you tell everybody what you did, and then you sit back and you hear what you didn't do right. 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 And it's usually your peers and professors. Usually peers and professors. And but by the way, they bring people from the professional community. Yeah. And, and so if any of my architecture school <laughs> peers are there, there is this one project I did called the Cyber Chair that just is forever etched in my memory of those moments where. You know, it's not, it doesn't always go well. There's, this is, this no. is when you learn that, you know, if, if mom told you you were awesome growing up, yeah, your jurors, they didn't know that in yeah. a jury are certainly willing to tell you how awesome you are and are. So, yeah. so, and not that you're coming, I mean, I know you're not going to lead with that, but just you're a juror yeah. in a local school. Yeah. It's a university. They have a five year master's program yeah. in architecture. Yeah. And the probably the most common thing that I contribute is to say, take this away. I tear stuff off. Um, You're doing too much. I call much. it You've the law of irreducible, irreducible complexity. Yeah. When Orville and Wilbur Wright built first flight, they engineered down to everything that didn't belong to flight and left only what belongs to flight. And I feel like sometimes we copy different styles and flavors and we add this and that and, and this and that. And look, one of the raging local um, food chains, uh, In-N-Out Burger, West Coast. <laughs> first stop. Yeah. First stop after LAX, baby. They just do three things. Yeah. You know? um, Burger, fries, and shakes. Yeah, and they're all fresh. So they're, they're yeah. friendly. It's fresh. 
And they're um, fast. And they're right? scriptural in the packaging. Which, yeah, they snuck yeah, that in, yeah, right? Yeah. So they they said, we're not going to do everything that McDonald's right. does or Taco Bell, Del Taco. We're going to just do these three things and we're going to do them so well. Yeah. And I, I feel like a song with too many notes, a poem with too many words, and a building with too much going on, even a program with too many programs, um, just... Seek the Spirit of God to see what you are to do in this community, what's really needed, and do it well. Um, even the my favorite book, probably, How Should We Then Live by yeah. Francis Schaeffer, asks four questions. In the entire body of the book, it asks four questions. Uh, the first one is, who am I? You know, it's, a, it, it's like a Jesus-type question. You yeah. Know? Who are you? Who am I? The uh, second question, what do I love? You know, what am I passionate for? And then three, how shall I live knowing that I'll die one day? And then the fourth one is, uh, what is my gift to the family of the earth? You know, what do I leave? I mean, like you've heard many people, you've done so many podcasts, Brian. Um, would you leave a hole? Yeah. If, you left, if you weren't there. If you and weren't that's there. What we ask churches that all the time. Hey, if you weren't there, what would people say is missing in the community? Yeah. And many that's pretty convicting for most leaders because they realize outside the walls, nobody cares whether they exist yeah, or not. That's chilling. Yeah. And so we want to actually come and look at all the pros and cons and decon the cons, remove <laughs> the barriers, yeah. you know, and that's what I tell the students, take away the stuff that doesn't belong to the story. And then people will get the story. The best stories are retold stories and discovered stories. Uh, consider Maya Lin, one of my favorite architects, when she did the Vietnam, competition yeah. for the Vietnam War, yeah. well, you knew where yeah. it was going. Um, first off, she was the wrong person. She yeah. was a woman. She was an Asian. This was an Asian conflict. A lot of American Westerners of, died. Yeah, bad war. feelings about it. I mean, and, it, and then her design was highly criticized. It pointed towards the Lincoln Memorial, pointed towards the Washington Monument, formed this little chevron wedge. It was cut into the earth. It was like a gash. Like a big gash. They say, well, ha what happens after this? She goes, it'll heal over, but the scar will always remain. And by the way, when you start walking from the yeah. Washington Monument, yeah. you see a few names as you're descending yeah. into this pit, and you're now a grave's depth under. You're six feet under by the time you're reading more and more names, but you're also seeing your own reflection mm -hmm. in there as you're remembering the name of someone who's fallen or someone maybe a loved one. And then as you walk out towards the Washington Monument, um, you're getting shallower and shallower. Lincoln. Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah. You're now uh, coming up out of that depth of that grave, that black granite that represents yeah. this veil between this world and the next. And uh, you're on the open land again. And it changes you. It moves you. And it's just a slab of granite with names etched into it, forming a wedge. But it's a sacred space. It really is. And we try to uh, look deeply into the story of a certain community and create those sacred spaces, those places where you maybe even quiet yourself a bit and you can recreate you know, on that space, which the word recreation probably hyphenates yeah. out of. And um, yeah, using the tools of design. So sometimes the building gets in the way of the message they're trying to communicate. Even a message of beauty and order and design, you don't find that yeah. in these spaces we go into, Brian, right? Sometimes. Yeah. So sometimes just move the wall, 
move the barrier, open the, the porch, allow some drinks in this room or something, whatever it takes, you know, to, to be a, pl- a center for the community. And then it's also church, you know, because church is a little more ethereal than actually a, a shape of a building, a structure. You know, Jesus said, we are the church. So the church has freckles mm-hmm. and nappy hair, if I can say that. It's, it's Asian, it's uh, Malaysian, it's European. Yeah. It's, um, it's not a building. And I've had so many churches when we go through this first process that you've guided us to through Oxano, when we go through this first part, they'll just remind us, hey, it's not about a building. I noticed nothing we wrote up here is about a building. I go, you're right. But we don't want the building to get in the way of what we just heard. This is sacred. Mm. We're talking about sacred concepts of seeking and saving the lost in a community. So we don't want the buildings to get in the way. But if you're going to have buildings, you know. And you are going to have buildings in our U.S. American culture. You need to get out of the weather. Um, and we've built various kinds of buildings all around the world, then those buildings need to reinforce that story. Mm. Get your script right. Uh, One of the jobs I play at Visionary Studios reminds me of in the theme park world or in the movie world, this position called continuity editor. So if you've ever... What is that? Well, if you ever forced to watch Downton Abbey... My, no, da- my ne- daughters never have it. watched one second of Downton Abbey. I admire you so much more, even Brian. I tried to watch it because I. But listen, a- I tried to watch Les Mis, and I was a, I was a I was a wreck the <laughs> other night. You yeah. were Miz already, yeah. so I yeah. was I was watching it to be with my wife and daughters. Yeah. yeah, and I was crying. I'm sure for way different reasons than they were. <laughs> I was crying because I was watching it. That yeah. I had to watch yeah. it, but I heard I didn't see this episode, but at one scene. Uh, someone called in and said they saw like a sparklets water bottle on one of the mantles, you know, from the 1600s. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think yeah, they had yeah, plastic, yeah. plastic bottles. So a continuity editor missed that, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, you someone is watching the whole yeah. time making sure, hey, we're telling the same story at the same time. Yeah. Many Americans have been to Disneyland and I live four miles from the original park. Yeah. And you don't, you don't see a Rubbermaid trash can in Frontierland, right? Yeah. So when I guide our design team to work nationally and internationally. Um, we need to find that story in those spaces, in those communities, and make sure that whatever we design belongs to that story. So it creates a type of third place, you know, even on these campuses. And sometimes, you know, you ask the question about, you know, how much money does that cost? The space between the building office is only 10% of the cost within the building. So be intentional about, you know, if you have extra other buildings, you know, maybe there's pavilions, there's kids' buildings. It's a, we've even designed park pavilions that can be used for the community. You could book them for uh, events. Yeah. You can even do weddings in those. They, or just even taking a sidewalk and just stop drawing the line from point A to point B in a straight line. Yeah, meander the sidewalk. And ask the question, what happens if we yeah. put a little bend in it and, and a bench yeah, create some discovery. Yeah, and by the way, if you get up on the the God Cam, that's how he landscapes. He yeah, doesn't put trees yeah. in rows. He'll have drifts of cherry trees. You see, yeah, you know, in the East Coast, um, you'll see pines deciduous, and at this time of year, uh, indecid. Uh, what is it? Evergreens and deciduous yeah. trees all drifting through each other. Yeah. So um, there was even a written. A I was distracted when you're saying that by. 
uh, growing up in Alabama and, and, and living in Mississippi where all the pine trees are actually in rows because it's the second generation or third generation of pine. They've harvested oh, the fields yeah, and they've yeah. come back in and planted them in these straight rows. That's and true. there's there's something beautiful about the order, but there's something disarming because you know that's just not the way it happens, yeah. right? And so you that's know true. that's that's kind of man's overlay of God's beauty and perfection. Well, true. You know? there, there was a book written by a lady and I don't have, there's no indication that she yeah. uh, has received her eternal life through Christ. But it was written in the 80s, and it was called Biomimicry. Um, and it's based on the notion that nature can give us all the clues we need towards good design. And one case study, for example, the bullet train rushing through these hollowed-out tunnels yeah. in Japan would leave a sonic boom every time it releases through the tunnel. So understanding the ideas of biomimicry they started to redo the nose cone of the bullet train to mimic the kingfisher. You know, they can fly out of the sky and then yeah. nab a, a fish yeah. underneath the water. And it has this interesting, like, subsonic nose cone, you know, beak that comes through. They put this on, and not only did it eliminate the sonic boom completely, they're running 5% more efficient in fuel. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I'd like to expand her notion, this author's notion, and say you're copying God's work. Mm. You know, we're mimicking the great designer's work. Yeah. And let's do that with our designs, with architecture as well. Let's take let's 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 raise the level. Yeah. Let's, let's show him make God famous. Mm. You know, bring glory to God in your work. Um, I'm sure it's happening in the pulpits. Yeah, we work real hard during the week to do it. in the lobby, you know? Yeah, wow. Yeah, I I, kind of talked over that. Let's go. Make God famous. We're working hard at that on Sunday morning from the pulpit. Yeah. But what if we work just as hard in the lobby and in the parking lot? Yeah, yeah. And And retailers are doing it to get the next retail dollar. They have to actually reinvent themselves every three to five years. Yeah. Theme parks put a, a major attraction Every five years, they update something every two years. They're constantly becoming next, right? And churches are fine with the old haircut until they go bald, you know? <laughs> you know, and, and, and they're not realizing what's at stake is yeah. eternal lives. So mm-hmm. if it's some paint, you know, uh, whatever. Paul even said, listen, I can eat meat now. I have such freedom. But if it trips you up, I'll eat vegetables, you know? Yeah. And we go into places, Brian, that we have to say, yeah, culturally, they wouldn't even go into this kind of building. So I'll do their kind of building. I don't care. I'll do a house of blues. Yeah. You know, and we're going to like go crazy for Jesus in this house of blues. It's unexpected, you know, but it's where they would want to go and they bring their friends. I love it. I think that's the perfect place to kind of wrap our conversation. Um, Aside from the three questions that I ask every podcast guest. The first one is, what's the one daily or regular habit you practice that keeps you close to the heart of God? Yeah, it's, there's two parts to the daily, and I know I can improve it because it's not considered really a Bible study. I have a devotional yeah. that, that I get a fresh scripture every day. comes on end of my phone. I yeah. was told, don't read Facebook first. Don't go on social media first. Yeah. Yeah. First, open the Word. But the Word comes to me first. 
around one in the morning. I've yeah, experienced yeah. that because I've been on assignments with you. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> Up it's, late with a it's pen 1 a.m. <laughs> but it's usually something I would wake up to. Cup of coffee and a pen. I yeah. read that first. And yeah. then the second is um, I've taught myself. I'm a morning shower person. This is yeah. probably TMI, but I... I symbolize. It's right on the line. As <laughs> yeah. long as you stay I right symbolize there. while I'm showering, getting clean, that I ask God to cleanse me mm. and um, prepare me to serve wow. Him that day. And then I pray for my five daughters and their five husbands. Well, one of them, it's her future husband. The others, other four are married. So I take that time and I'll extend it to my wife, our marriage, my brother and his marriage, and my family. But I do that while I'm showering because it's to me symbolic of, wow. of this new start, getting fresh a fresh start for the day. So that's my more my daily habits. That that seems much better of a thing to think about and meditate on in the shower than the mental arguments I have with various people in my head while I'm showering. Yeah. That's the best place I can form thoughts. So. That's how I chase those out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, number two, if you go back to your first year of ministry and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? Yeah, I think. Um, it's a struggle that I, I have. I'm going to be unwrapping it at my board meeting tonight because we all share uh, a scripture from the Bible. And I'm looking at Galatians 1 and Ephesians 1. They both are saying the kind of thing, am I here to please God or man? Mm-hmm. And I think there's something about architects, and you know a lot of architects, they want to they wanna be recognized for their style yeah, yeah. and acknowledged for something amazing they did. And and. Man, I was so so empowered by Ravi Zacharias when he said, uh, I just finished preaching and, and, and like 10,000 people came forward and a, a thing in India. And he went back to his hotel room and said, am I still battling those three enemies? You know, the... the Pride of life. Pride of life, yeah. Lust of the flesh. And lust of the eyes. And, and he said, and I'm laying back going, look how many people... I brought to the Lord today. He goes, no, you know, yeah. it, I must decrease that he would increase. I didn't do any great work. Uh, I'm serving a great worker. So mm-hmm. I feel like if I went back to my first year, I'd tell myself, it's not about you. It's not about any awards you're going to receive in architecture. It's not about how photographed your buildings are and how many times it shows up on Instagram. It's about um how much glory does it bring to God? If you do a good work, and I'm talking about architecture, and people can't see you, but they can see God in it, that's the success that I, I, I wished I could have known 16 years ago to measure that every year and just say, and I, I may not know this side of eternity, but to know that um, when they see your good works, that they give God the glory, that would be the beginning goal. And I battle against that because I want, people to say good things about me. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a lot of emotional deficits that you probably know me a while. Um, I do, and I, I probably grew up with those, you know, with the, the voices yeah. of my earthly father. Yeah. But my heavenly father, when he sees me, he sees no stain on me. He sees me as holy. And I need to not be trying to seek the approval of man. Mm. And uh, that the body of the work that we do bring glory to God. That's what I would tell myself. That's the long answer, anyway. No, no. I mean, yeah. And listen, that's uh, I. I appreciate hearing it for myself. And today, it's not my first year, but it's just a great reminder. 
uh, even as I'm podcasting, you know, mm-hmm. that, that God might get the glory there. Third question, and, and I think you kind of already answered this. Is there one book you consistently recommend or give as a gift? Yeah. You mentioned the Francis Schaeffer yeah. book. What was the name of it? How again? Should We Then Live? How Should We Then Live? Yeah. Is there anything else that you've been just kind of like? Well, the one I've handed out the most is a simple little book by Francis Chan. I guess I like Francis. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's uh, the simple um, love. What is it? Uh, crazy love? Crazy love, yeah. yeah. It's just funny because he wrote it with such candor. He's like, I knew this. Yeah, yeah. Who doesn't, you know? I'm a, pra- I'm a preacher. I know this. But like 100 pages into it, he goes, wow, it all changes when you fall in love. Mm. And I, when I hand it out to people, it's by the way, I can give it to anybody. Yeah, I can give it to someone who, who uh, say they want to be the head of the atheist party. You know, yeah. whatever they yeah. they can really hate God and they can go, man. I tell you what, the world needs is love. Yeah, and this guy wrote this little simple book. It's easy; you can read it on one flight. But it reminds me of this story of this this kid who's almost sixteen. He wants to take his girlfriend out on a date. Wants to use dad's nice car. And he goes, you know you have to wash the car first. And he goes, yes, I know, every Saturday. And every Saturday he rag, dra- drags a wet rag over the car and then you know dries it off. And he says, Dad, I washed the car. Now can I go play? Well, now he's going to take his girl on a date and he washed the car. But it was like showroom fresh. Yeah, different he, kind of washing. Oh, yeah. Car, now, yeah. did he follow the law? Of course, yeah. He can't go anywhere until he washes the car Saturday. But... He washed it differently that day. And I think that's what I was getting out of that book. And I try to pass it on to people. It's like the things you do for someone you love. And that's what that first question, our second question is, what do I love from yeah. how then should we live? Yeah. That's that's my most handed out book. <laughs> well, thanks, Bob. I appreciate you spending some time with us. So inspiring to hear you speak to the heart of pastors and the heart of, you know, design that impacts beyond just the function and uh, and really points and glorifies God. Um, thanks for being a part of the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for a long time friendship. Thank you for listening to My Ministry Breakthrough from the Oxano Podcast Network. You can head over to myministrybreakthrough.com to join the conversation and access our show notes, including the books or other resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoy hearing these stories of ministry breakthrough, we would be honored if you would subscribe, rate, and even leave a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.